everybody, and welcome into the State of Play podcast, episode 46. I'm your host, Martino Puccio. Alongside me today is Pet Barisha. Matt Santangelo is still hungover from all the White Claws he was drinking <laughs> on his vacation, so he's not making it for this episode. But we have Pet and a guest, but first we'll get to Pet. How are you doing? Very, very well. Um, I actually recently just, uh, well, I was made redundant from my, uh, from my day job. So, um, you know, full-time podcasting, I guess, is the way forward. But I haven't been on for a little, little while. I just wanted to say a thank you to every single person who uh, voted for us for the Football Content Awards, the Best New Content Creator. Um, I know our guest was a big advocate for us and a big fan. He, he retweeted and liked all our stuff. But yeah, I just want to say it's the first time I've been on since that happened. Uh, Thank you very much for the support and also the Athletic Partnership, which is awesome. So they'll be sponsoring the podcast, which is great. Uh, that stuff doesn't really happen without all the <laughs> uh, you know, hustle from the team, but also most importantly, people listening, people sharing our stuff. And yeah, as soon as I get a haircut next Friday, I'm probably going to try more of those uh, whiteboard videos, Martina. Yeah, uh, which I'm excited for. We got a lot of great feedback from that, whether or not it got taken down two seconds from Reddit. It was a general <laughs> uh, positive response, but we have a recurring guest. I think this is the third time since I joined the podcast that he has been on. There was Chipgate, and then there was the other time where Pet forgot his name. So Pet, I'll let you introduce him because you owe it to him. So take it away. Roberto Rojas, how are you doing, my friend? What's up, guys? Um, you know, I'm actually surprised you remembered my name. I would think that after the two blunders that we've had, you know, there'd be like a, I guess it's a strike three or something. So hopefully there are no significant uh, problems, although it is raining right now. It's been thundering. So oh, damn. we'll see outage, uh, a bit of outage, <laughs> who knows? But uh, no, Odd, Odds are high on that one. Perfect. <laughs> No, thank you um, for having me on. And also, yeah, congrats on the uh, partnership as well with the Athletic. You guys um, obviously are doing a fantastic job, you know, obviously looking at the the work that you've done over the last few months and, you know, obviously getting the great guests that you get and obviously the insight that you have on the game of football. It's uh, really well-deserved and, you know, uh, as we say in Spanish, exitos en todos, uh, you know, good luck with everything and hope for the best uh, in the next few, in the in the future, basically. <laughs> You're too kind, my friend, too kind. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Roberto. Very nice of, of you. But um, yeah, so we got a lot to get into because there has been so much action going on. Transfer news, uh, leagues wrapping up, leagues um, still in a little bit of a title race. So we'll get into everything. But first, we're going to go with probably the biggest story. Um, Liverpool are finally Premier League champions. First time in all of our lives that this has happened. It's been since 1990 that they've won their first title. We've obviously seen them win FA Cups, Champions Leagues as well. We won't talk about that one. Um, but, yeah, look, I mean, they absolutely dominated. They got a bit of help from City struggling uh, with a bunch of injuries. But there was no doubt about it at the end of the day, Pet and Roberto. The second that the league started, they were just – fantastic invincible week in week out it didn't matter who they were playing they had some difficulties every now and then you know that uh that lost i think it was against watford and they had that stretch in march uh where they got eliminated from champions league but nonetheless 20 plus points clear on the table clear of city who's was having recently some of the greatest premier league teams of all time they finally hoist the trophy pat i'll start with you what, what's the reaction like over there in England? Because, I mean, first of all, you've never seen anything like this, um, no. literally. So. No, literally never have seen yeah. Liverpool win so, the league. Well, I mean, what's the reaction been like? 
Uh, I mean, I think it's slightly more subdued uh, than it would have been. Obviously, you, you can't imagine the parade that would have been in Merseyside if Liverpool had won it in conditions that hadn't included uh, COVID-19. But I think, I mean, just to, to take a step back, this team is absolutely phenomenal. I think you're, you're looking at the best right back in Premier League history in Trent Alexander-Arnold. You're looking at the best centre back in, his, in Premier League history in Virgil van Dijk. And for me, you know, he's probably one of the best centre backs I've ever seen. Um, you know, there's always those crazy people that say he's the best centre back ever. Don't think that's true. But when it's all said and done, he's going to be up there in terms of like the top 20, 25, 15, 10, whatever it may be. Trent Alexander-Arnold, I mean, he's out of this world in his position. Um, and then you've got that front three where I think you've got the best winger in one of the best wingers in football in Salah. And then on the other side, you've got another top five winger in world, world football inside Omane. And then in Firmino, you've got probably, apart from Karim Benzema, the best number nine facilitator in the world. So you're looking at a squad. I mean, if you look at even Fabinho, as probably one of the best CDMs in the world. And Alisson as a top five keeper in the world. You're looking at a team that is ram-packed with talent. And I think I want to make two points here. Like This team is amazing. Let's make no doubt about that. But there are some caveats. I think that City not buying a centre-back last summer, I think when we had Jordan Luke on, Martino, we kind of discussed uh, Eric Garcia as the player profile. And he hasn't really got that many Premier League minutes here. And I think I questioned uh, Jordan at the time. I was like, don't City need a centre-back here? You know, company's going, Otamendi doesn't seem up to it. Laporte seems to be the only guy that matches up to someone like Virgil van Dijk. I mean, if you look at uh, Liverpool squad, um, you could make an argument that Joel Matip, who's the third-choice centre-back there, would start for Man City. And I don't think that's right. I, I don't think that that is Even Lovren, right. depending yeah. on the lineup. I mean, <laughs> maybe. Hey, hey, look, I mean, look, seriously, I mean, if you really think about like their depth at centre-back, wouldn't Lovren be their third choice then, at it least? Would, yeah, probably. I mean, ahead of Laporte, Otamendi. I mean, they've played Fernandinho and, uh, and yeah. Rodri there quite a lot. So you're not making too many outlandish claims. I think the other side of it is Chelsea obviously having the transfer ban. Uh, Arsenal being in huge transition, three coaches in one season, uh, Spurs being in transition, Mourinho taking over, that's not really working that well. Uh, it's not working badly, but it's kind of, kind of, you know, they're going sideways. Um, and then you've got Leicester who, uh, who seem to be running out of fuel towards the end of the season, but of course are never going to be title contenders considering the budgets. And it's going to be interesting, right? You know, Chelsea have already laid down the gauntlet. They've got Hakim Ziyech coming in for next season. They've got Timo Werner coming in next season. You've got Man City who will no doubt spend. And, you know, Pep looks like he's going to stay there. So there's going to be challenges. Um, it's just going to be dependent on, um, on how much they spend and whether or not Liverpool can keep up the appetite. I, I think we've seen that Liverpool are beatable. They aren't the invincibles, you know. They got beaten over two legs in both legs in the Champions League. They got beaten uh, in the Premier League by a very lowly Watford team. I mean, it's... Um, and Letigo was struggling too at the time. I mean, it wasn't exactly, even like they, you know? they're playing as well as they are now with the reboot. So it's... Yeah, look, I mean, hey, sometimes to win titles, you need a little bit of luck on mm. yourself. And they oh, but it- they, they have been magnificent. magnificent of course. I, I can't, course, can't take but, away but from them. it all factors in. It all factors Of course. I, I do think as well, this is probably the worst Premier League in terms of quality that I've seen in a long, long time. I can't really uh, what remember. What about the year Leicester one? Yeah, I, I would say it's comparable to that one, definitely. Mm. Um, but still, you had um, City uh, and Arsenal 
quite strong in that season. Um, but but that is the last time I remember the, the yeah the league being that poor. But this time you had an utterly dominant Liverpool team who, you know, even though they did lose to Atletico, let's be fair, they did win the Champions League all ends up last season. But I'll let Roberto jump in. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it really has been a league that I think from the start, it was kind of already figured out who was going to dominate. Uh, Obviously, Liverpool and City had that big race uh, last season that went all the way to the end. And and to think about it, you know, if that Liverpool, that second place Liverpool side, if they were playing in any other sort of uh, season or league, you know, they'd be champions outright. Now, having said that, you look at all the components that this Liverpool side has. Obviously, it's a good team when you look at, you know, you'd mentioned, uh, Pat, you know, the fullbacks in. Alexander Arnold and Robertson, you know, you still have one of the best center back, the best center back in the world in Van Dyke. You know, you have those front three of Firmino, Smane, and, and Salah. You know, you have an ambitious ma- manager who, you know, obviously isn't afraid to go at it. And it, it worked properly. Now, having said that, you know, this isn't to poo-poo what Liverpool have been able to do, but you also have to fault what City was able to do. Even with that side, you know, they were able to fail in, you know, obviously those type of matches. And then, you know, they slip up and lose points, Liverpool go up, and they, it happens again. And, you know, you look at all the problems that they've also had for quite some time. You'd mentioned the defense, you know, that they were able to straighten it. Um, and you kind of worry. I mean, yes, obviously they're going to spend. That, that's without a question going to happen. You know, Pep's going to stay. You would, you would assume so, even regardless of what happens with this whole, you know, um, Champions League ban and whatnot. They're still going to compete for the Premier League. That's That's – that's how it's done. And, you know, they're going to find that new, you know, your, da- your new David Silva's, your new Fernandinho's. You know, obviously, they need to find that kind of leader now that we probably did not see this season um, with the departure of Vincent Company. You know, we didn't see that. This isn't, this isn't to take away what Silva and Fernandinho do, but I think with someone like Company, he just provides much more of a, of a leadership role. And because of the, the, the time and experience that he has at that club, who's to say that someone like De Bruyne can't be, can't be like that? Or, or Sterling, going, knowing how he's able to handle the pressure, um, you know, obviously in the media and whatnot. So, you know, he's a good option. But you have to, you know, the team really has to really look into the future. I mean, you know, you have your Phil Foden's, you know, you still have your Gabriel Jesus's, you know, you still have your Amory Laporte's, you, you still have those players. But they definitely need to look even more, and and they will. I think that's 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 easier said than done. But it really will be a um, a season that will be remembered. Yeah, it, it kind of has to go through that way of the quality. You know, you look at what the team had teams that were you know a Chelsea side that were rebuilding. You know, United slipping up, Arsenal, Spurs. I mean, you know, when you have a team like Leicester who are still technically in the top four, still fighting for it. I mean. It is a weird season, but at the end of the day, I think this Liverpool side, you know, completely was able to wipe the floor all season, and it was demonstrated what we saw uh, all season long. Yeah, I mean, they were they were really impressive, and I think it's just a testament, again, to how great of a project this was. This wasn't your overnight, you know, next season Liverpool is going to be fantastic after one transfer window like this was built over a course of time they had a lot of tough losses for trophies um that really didn't go their way right they did lose that champions league final they came close to winning the premier league title last year but i mean they even lost the europa league final that time yeah that yeah as well yeah yeah, even even those yeah i mean all that adds up and that just that just goes along with the character 
of, of this club as well and the team that they had because when, when you look up and down a lot of these guys weren't world beaters at start right even Virgil van Dyke. I mean it took him a while just to get to a club like Liverpool mm. at the level he's playing at right now same for Mo Salah right didn't do well at Chelsea had to go over to Serie A and then comes back to the Premier League like they all kind of get it and they all buy in and that's really difficult to have so kudos to them but let's talk about some of the other teams because we got a really important champions league race um right because basically what we thought months ago when we probably had roberto last on what we were seeing was chelsea leicester city and liverpool as the top four teams as of right now that's what we have we thought that's what it was going to be i thought that's what it was going to be chelsea so impressive this season i think besides from leicester Let's not get it twisted, right? Like, no one had Leicester in this top four. Kind of a little bit like um, when they won the title, obviously. Not not as big underdogs because they're a little bit more respected now. But, I mean, the testament to Chelsea in their situation and Frank Lampard taking over the reins there. Um, they, they really, you know, they had a rough stretch or so um, towards the end of 2019. I believe is around December where they were struggling a little bit. They didn't really add that much in the January transfer window. They relied on a lot of their youth. I think this break was good for them to get back into the swing of things. And you could argue since the Premier League has returned and in all football in England, Chelsea looks like the best team. Pet. I mean, a big factor in that is obviously not having David Luiz. You know, it's um, <laughs> it's it's definitely a factor in them doing well. But I mean, you know, I think Chelsea actually have a, a bit more depth than a lot of people give them credit for. It might not be amazing quality in terms of depth, but they actually have quite a few players. I mean, you look at Tammy Abraham and Olivier Giroud. You've got a really good up and coming English youngster who whose stats are phenomenal. I mean, if you if you dig into kind of his expected goals, uh, expected assists, his goal contributions, uh, considering he doesn't take penalties, he's done really, really well. Olivier Giroud is a, is a World Cup winning striker. Let's, let's make no mistake about that. He will score goals when given the opportunities. Then you've got Pedro and Willian. I mean, we, we all know that Pedro is likely going to, to Roma, is it, Martinez, uh, when his contract's up? And then you've yep. got um, Pulisic and Callum Hudson-Odoi as the younger kind of understudies to those two guys, but but also make a big impact. We saw Pulisic with the, the goal against Man City, which was absolutely phenomenal. And then you move down, you've got Mount, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, you've got Kante, you've got Jorginho, you've got Kovacic. There's a lot of players there. Um, you've got centre-backs in Tamori, Aspilicueta can play there. You've got Kurt Zuma, um, you've got Christensen. There's a lot of players there. You've got uh, Aspilicueta, you can play right-back, Reese James, and then at left-back, you've got Alonso and Emerson. And then Kepa and Caballero. Like, Chelsea have a pretty deep squad they're going to replace some of these guys with better quality. You know, uh, Werner's going to come in and uh, Pedro is going to likely go. Uh, ZX going to come in. Villian will probably leave. So Chelsea will have that kind of uh, swap side of things next summer. But I think one of the reasons that they've done really well is because the, the amount of depth that they've got and I guess the fitness that they've shown. Uh, I think after halftime the other night, Lampard was quoted saying, I could have taken nine players off because they played so badly against Leicester. But... Um, mm. <laughs> you know uh, that in itself is, is testament isn't it to the squad that they have because he could bring off nine guys and field on another nine players who you know the difference between Emerson and Alonso isn't amazingly big the difference between Tamori and Zuma isn't massively big the difference between Tamori and Rudiger isn't massively big Kepa and Caballero so it's fine margins for a lot of these players in the squad and it's kind of a decent position for Lampard to be in to be able to chop and change without really reducing the quality that much 
Yeah, Roberto, what, I mean, give me, give me your thoughts on this situation with Chelsea. I mean, because we've seen teams get these transfer bans and some struggle, some don't. The expectations weren't that high. Maybe that actually did help Chelsea um, during this season and campaign because a lot wasn't expected of them. They at least made it out of the group of the Champions League as well. Um, what has been your take of Lampard's job? I think he really was working with whatever he's got at his disposal. I mean, obviously, you know, it was the case of, you know, if you recall a while back, you know, there have been many people that have been going about like Chelsea's academy and not trusting it. And now you're looking at the likes of a, a Mason Mount, a Callum hudson Adoy, a, a Tammy Abraham, you know, you know Ruben Loftus-Cheek and, and many other players who are very useful for this side. And, you know, Pat, you mentioned the whole depth thing. I think that's also a, a big factor. And when you continue to add... And I forgot Billy Gilmore as well. Yeah, him as well. Billy Gilmore, of course. You know, you have him... Uh, Tamori, I mean, you know, they, they definitely have that side that, okay, maybe they won't compete for a Premier League yet, but if they continue to get stronger, and, and of course, you know, you kind of have to understand that, you know, I personally think that with the Chelsea side, they've already exceeded expectations. I think if they do make top four, that would exceed expectations for me. I think that that was the, that was what was going into it. And, you know, that they, whatever happens in the Champions League happens. I mean, that's, that's whatever. And if they could return even an FA Cup or something, then great. That's even an extra plus. But I think this was kind of the transition season for Crank Lampard. Next season, though, is the big one. I think that's the one where you're thinking, okay, yeah, this side needs to really compete. And it's going to be tough either way when you have your cities, your Liverpools, and, and all those other clubs fighting for it. But I think for the Chelsea side, they're really trying to build something special. I think with the players that they have at their disposal, the ones that they're trying to get out, and then obviously the ones that are trying to come in, they could really find that good combination in order to, to succeed well. I mean, I, I think it really has been very efficient so far. I mean, it's not perfect. And given that Chelsea are a team that obviously expect a lot, at least for the last few years, you know, to win titles, I think this was the season where they were like, okay, yeah, we've gone through what happened with Sari and – now we need to understand where we're at. And, and, of course, I think with someone like Frank Lampard, who obviously knows the club through and through, that just gives much more of a, a, a certain trust to someone. Because I think that was the big factor. You know, when you have someone that was such a club legend, you don't want that legacy to be tainted when you're a manager. And it's, it's happened a lot to many people. But yep. um, I think for him... I think for him and, and what he has been able to do so far, even before he came to Chelsea with, with, um, when he was at a Derby, I mean, he really, you know, is understandable of what it means to trust these players, to trust the youth, and, and it's working fine. I mean, you can't really say anything else besides that. So all in all, I think this Chelsea side have exceeded expectations. And I think that heading into next season, if they're able to fix the pieces that they're able to fix, then they can really go for something special and, and compete for on a more major uh, front. All right, before we move on over to La Liga, we have a special message. Pet, take it away. So yeah, you can actually, as we mentioned earlier, now sign up to The Athletic using our very own uh, code or link so if you go over to the athletic.co.uk slash state of play you basically get uh 50 off you know uh on the annual deal it's it works out about two pound 49 a month and that's three dollars for american listeners if you don't know what the athletic are they're an amazing subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage they feature amazing football reporters um you know david ornstein james pierce sam lee there's no ads not clickbait do check out if you're a football fan and you're not 
you know, subscribe to the Athletic. I don't know what you're doing, but I mean, I've got to ask you, Martina, have you bought anything that costs more than three three bucks these days? No, just uh, Call of Duty Warzone season pass. That's about it, and that's and that's ten dollars, and and that was worth it. But I think uh, Athletic has a lot more value there, especially over here in the United States, guys. You get access to literally every type of sport as well. It's just not strictly mm. football, so you get that on top of things. Um, so it's definitely uh, something to go buy. Please use that link. Um, it'd be greatly appreciated. Roberta, you've been buying anything more than three dollars recently? Uh, <laughs> yes, I have actually. Chips. But, chips. But, uh, chips. Yes. No. 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 <laughs> Some expensive chips. Both chips. Both chips. The crisp and the chips. Uh, or as we say, fried. But uh, yeah. those are more for cheap days and whatnot. But yeah. <laughs> Caught you off guard. But yeah, guys, uh, it's theathletic.co.uk slash state of play. Uh, use that link if you guys want uh, 50% off. Really would appreciate any sport if you guys use that. Uh, I guess we'll move on to La Liga, is it now, Martino? Yeah, La Liga. So basically, Roberto and I are always DMing back and forth about anything that really happens in football. And same thing with our state of play chat with Matt. Um, I remember we had Zach Lowy on a few months ago and Zach was Barcelona was still ahead in first place and he still tabbed Real Madrid to win this league. And look, Real Madrid was keeping pace with Barca for this whole time. And that was without a healthy Hazard, Uh, a good amount of youngsters that they were starting like Vinicius Jr., um, as well. Um, I know I'm drawing a little bit of blanks on some of the other names. Roberto will discuss them when I toss it to him here. But, I mean, props to Real Madrid. They haven't really skipped a beat. Uh, Sergio Ramos might as well um, win the golden boot in Spain. <laughs> he has been absolutely ridiculous from Can we just have a quick shout, shout, shout out for Karim Benzema as well? Oh my God, that was filthy. That, that was, was crazy. of the year. Did you see his goal as well? The the first week back, ah, oh, it's just yes. like ridiculous. He's just getting. It's this weird. I think I tweeted about it the other day. Like he's carrying on this weird trend of a lot of number nines getting better with age, like him, Lewandowski, yes. Suarez, etc. I know they started their careers a bit later in terms of kind of when they started getting better. You know, Lewandowski yeah. at twenty wasn't doing much. The same as Suarez, but Benzema Zapata's went to another one. Exactly, exactly. But Benzema went to went to Real Madrid really young like he's been there forever and he just gets better and better so crazy to see him performing and I, I hope just for his performances that Madrid do go on and win the league yeah yeah and, and you know what I, I tabbed them for it too and you know what they really are built for this towards this stretch here when we have this condensed schedule with uh, with all the depth that they have had I, I thought that uh, Perez has done a really nice job with them alongside uh, cooperating with Zidane um, you know it's very difficult sometimes the way Zidane's you know timeline worked at Real Madrid leaving and then coming back um the way he's been able to write the ship over there um honestly they're trending in a very different direction compared to Barcelona Roberto tell me what your opinion of everything has been do you have Madrid winning this league is it going to be it's only two points as of right now but is is Barca really putting themselves into a hole because they have Letico coming up so I mean it's not getting any easier for them I do. And I feel like even besides what we're seeing of the schedule, you know, as you mentioned, Barcelona still have to play Atletico, who, you know, you have to realize, even though it is a tight game in itself, uh, Cholo Simeone, you know, typically doesn't really have a good record against Barcelona, if you look at the league. But having said that, 
Um, I, I think this was really going to be the big factor coming into the restarts, like how those teams, because let's be real, it was, I think it, it was only going to be decided by these two teams to win the league. What really struck me the most, I think, of this Real Madrid side is that, you know, you look at what they have at their disposal. And if you also remember that this side also, you know, they were really back, not really, but they, you know, they would always, I think they were like second place for a good majority of the, of the La Liga campaign. So, you know, obviously that's, because they drop points, you know, losing to Mallorca, you know, getting a lot of draws, you know, if you have to remember, you know, they were falling behind, but now they just have this kind of reassurance of, of, of great form and, you know, the likes of a Karim Benzema um, on fire, you know, the likes of a Sergio Ramos coming in. Eden Hazard has obviously really found his, his feet on, on this side. And it's an efficient side with what makes this very important as well. It's just how they have it at disposal. You look at the depth that they have, you know, you have, I mean, how would you feel if you had to take out James Rodriguez on the bench and you had that to your disposal or the likes of a Vinicius Jr. or, 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 or even a, a Marco Asensio is coming back from injury or, or Garrett Bale. I mean, it just shows that I think what Zidane needs to do with this team is that they're able to find that kind of depth and, and to rotate properly with the matches left at their disposal. I'm not saying that they will win all their matches. I mean, I think that's it could be very straightforward in saying that, yes, it could happen, but you know, you never know with this race. And that's the same thing for Barcelona. I think for a Barcelona side who you know, struggled, I think, drastically because of injury. And, of course, you know, the, at first, you know, obviously the injury of Luis Suarez that – I think was going to be detrimental, but then obviously everything stopped and he was able to come back to the side. But, you know, you still have the loss of Edesman Dembele. You know, you have Arthur, who, you know, left just left for Juventus. Um, you know, you look at this side and you're thinking, do they have enough? I know the quality is there, obviously, and especially when you have someone like Lionel Messi who is able to take them out of that hole whenever it's necessary. But, you know, it's still you still have that dependency. I mean, you still don't really see what someone like an Antoine Griezmann can do. You know, you still don't see that. And, you know, you look at what this side has to offer and you're wondering, you know, compare that to Real Madrid, compare the depth that they have. And also just because of what they went through, I mean, you know, the sacking of Ernesto Valverde um, after the Super Cup and then coming in uh, with uh, Kiki Setien, it was going to be difficult at the start. Now, you know, we we know what we're seeing with the likes of a Ansu Fadi coming up or a Ricky Pugh also coming up. That's fine, but you, you have to understand that I think this really just goes into more of what Barcelona, the club, is dealing with out behind the scenes. I'm sure you guys have definitely seen that for quite some time on kind of the spending that they've done and how that's been kind of, you know, detrimental and even wasteful because, you know, they spent all this amount of money on players and it's not kicking off. I mean, clearly there are more problems there. So I think that's really what, what it goes down to. I think because Real Madrid have been able to find their feet in a way and, and be more consistent and also just relying on their pieces that they have uh, from a depth perspective. I think they really are in for that shot to, to win La Liga. And I think that's what we're probably going to see um, is, is to make my bold prediction uh, for the rest of the campaign. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the league has been really interesting. Uh, I think you mentioned a, a few players there uh, when you were talking, Roberto. Griezmann is one that's been interesting. And it, I think it's kind of, it's emphasised all of uh, Barcelona's problems off the pitch, hasn't it? You've bought a ageing player who's the wrong side of 25 for a lot of money. 
to try and dob him in with kind of one of the best number nines in the world and the best player in the world in at Barcelona. And then you've also got Ansu Fatu who needs playing time. You've got Trincao coming in. You've got Osvane Dembele who can't get fit. And, uh, you know, I can't... Barcelona need to change a lot of things really quickly. So by the time that Lionel Messi retires, they're in an actual not even a good spot, a reasonable spot to try and challenge for the, for the title. Because at the way that they're going, the current trajectory, it's, it's not looking great. It's not looking great for them. They're going to be struggling for Copa del Rey. I, I, like, it's, it honestly is that serious at this point because we know the issues that they have with balancing their books. You mentioned Dembele, Griezmann, and even Coutinho, you can go back to him. That's almost 400 million euros worth of players that are essentially contributing nothing, right? And we look at Real Madrid, for example, a player that isn't really doing much for them, Luka Jovic, is costing not even more than 50 million in transfer fees. So even when they lose, they're not losing big. When Barcelona is losing, they're losing big time here. And it's choking away these Champions League finals. You know, it's just this existential pressure that keeps getting applied to them. And Messi just turned 33, right? He's been around for a long time. And at some point, we've seen it a little bit with Cristiano Ronaldo, too, where he's been playing very poorly during these stretches that eventually that's going to happen to Messi. Whether we'd like to believe it or not, we've seen a decline to Luis Suarez. And just their policy in itself just doesn't make sense a lot of the time. When, when you talk about Barcelona and, and you say, okay, what are the main issues when we look at their starting 11 or just their roster in general? You say, okay, they need to get better center backs potentially. Their, their full backs need to improve a bit. They need to find a better replacement at the nine spot for, for Suarez eventually and the left winger. But they just keep on getting linked to all these guys. And it's like Lautaro Martinez as well. And it's just you're selling Arthur for, for a Pjanic swap. And did you guys see? Did you guys see the Swiss Ramble um, thread about it? About uh, the swap with Arthur. Yes. Yeah, so, and for those of you who don't know, at, at Swiss Ramble, he's a he's a he's an Arsenal fan. Uh, he's living in Switzerland, but he's basically an accountant, and he he does a lot about um, kind of football finances. He did the, a thread on the uh, uh, Arthur Pjanic deal, and I just want to read a little bit out of it because it's super interesting. So he says, from a financial perspective it would appear that Juventus are effectively paying Barcelona 10 million euros to exchange Pjanic for the younger Arthur, but the accounting treatment means that both clubs will report around 60 million euros profit from this transaction. Let me explain why. And he goes into it and he basically says, he says, basically football clubs can consider players as assets so they can do, they can, uh, they can't fully expense transfer fees uh, in the year a player is purchased, but instead write off the cost evenly over the length of the player's contract via player or amortization. Amortization. Yeah. So as Arthur was purchased by Barcelona in July 2018 for 30 million euros on a six-year contract, the annual amortization is 5 million euros. So 30 million divided by six, obviously. This means that his book value reduces by 5 million a year. So after two years, his value in his accounts was 20 million euros. If Arthur is indeed sold for 80 million euros, Barcelona profit on player sales from an accounting perspective would be 60 million euros. Sales proceeds of 80 million take away the 20 million. And... um, uh, so they're basically looking at it as kind of from an accounting perspective. Um, so at the end, it kind of says in this way, both Barcelona and Juventus will have both boosted their profits by around 60 million euros, despite the net difference between the transfers being 10 million uh, euros. Move along, nothing to see here. Certainly not a device to improve the bottom line. 
It's crazy, well, isn't I, it? Like, I don't know they, how that's allowed. I know it's... I, exactly. I, how? I don't, I don't understand the rules here. Then, you know what? Cities should just use that in their appeals then. They're going to say, like, if these rules aren't going to apply everywhere, then why should city have to sit back and, and say whatever they were? I know they're two different situations and what city was doing and what this situation between Juventus. I don't know if the both of you saw the Juventus situation where they're selling a youth, U23 youth player who is valued on the transfer market as 125000 hasn't even played a full 90 minutes for Juventus but is getting sold to Atalanta for 7 million euros now I mean you tell me what you think about that but I'm just saying that it just doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface but regardless we'll keep it to just strictly a player thing Barcelona didn't get any younger here they didn't get relatively a lot better now they're stuck with Vidal, Rakitic, Pjanic, Sergio Busquets all these guys are 30 and older now these aren't guys that are getting any younger so in reality when we're looking at it yeah, maybe they're helped financially, but on the pitch, how much better did Barcelona really get with this transfer deal? And I say they didn't. I think I think Juve pulled out here on top. And again, this is this is a nice, solid job by Paracicci from from Juve. Um, Roberto, Roberto, what do you think about this? You think this was just more so? Like, do you agree with Barcelona's approach to this? That yeah, it might help them financially, but when you're looking at them as as a team and their squad, I, they're not really better. I just don't see it. No, absolutely not. And I think just because when you look at someone like a Frankie de Jong, um, who obviously is a player, it is for the now, but also essentially for the future. And then you have someone like a Ricky Pugh that is coming up. You know, you want to, you could easily have your midfield as an Arthur, Frankie de Jong, and Ricky Pugh. Now that's not going to happen. So I, it's the case of how, you know, I think Barcelona just want to get as much money as they want to get the next best player possible, the best midfielder. I mean, who's out there in the market? I'm sure there's going to be someone, but I know that effectively when you're looking at how, let's be fair, I mean, it's, it's also one of the richest clubs in the world, and even though they're still losing money, like all the clubs around the world are because of COVID, you know, you're, there's nothing besides that. I think the one time that Barcelona were able to make their smart move one of their smartest transfers that they've done, and they've done a bunch that are not reasonable, they decide to say, you know what? No, we need to get more money out of this. And so we're just going to swap for someone that is seven years older um, and um, effectively not even the same player as well. So it's it's a perplexing situation. And for me, I, I don't see how you Barcelona will come out of this strongly. And, and for Juventus, I, like I said, when this move happened, I think they won the lottery here because they're going to finally have a player that is able to function in the system that would work properly alongside also another youngster at, um, at Juventus with uh, Bentancur. So yeah, they, they definitely have been. Kulosevsky whenever they get him in from Parma, I'm not sure if they're keeping him for an extra year. So, yeah. So yeah, I think Juventus really are looking into the future and, you know, hopefully it maintains that way uh, for the long run. Yeah, so we'll we'll stick to Italy now as well. And I think one of the main competitors for Juve next season, not this season, because again, this was just, you know, prototypical Serie A. Everyone's losing the league and Juve's winning it, but the teams are also blowing it. But Inter, Inter made a huge move, in my opinion. I think this was, this arguably could be signing of the summer. I think it's going to be Ziyech simply based off the fee and, and impact. But Hakimi from Dortmund, well, technically Real Madrid, to enter 40 million euros plus bonuses. 
this is what I was saying. I said on recent State of Play podcasts was that Inter are going to have to be looking at their wingback situation because Victor Moses, Victor Moses, excuse me, and Biragi aren't really going to be cutting it. Uh, they were playing Asamoa there on the left as well. But Hakimi, man, I mean, we thought Alfonso Davies was fast. You should see that Hakimi was registering as the fastest um, sprints in the Bundesliga at one point. So I, I think he's a fantastic talent. I think this is exactly what Inter would need. Uh, the fee isn't too ridiculous considering... It's a bargain. It's a bargain. You know, so let's call ahead, it what it is. Yeah. It's a bargain, you know, 40 million. Is it euros, right? For yeah, Hakimi euros, is euros. An absolute bargain. Um Five million player salary per year. It's 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 you know it's you're buying the the second third best right back in in football for that money. I mean it's it's really cheap, you know. Like and I don't really know what Real Madrid are doing. You know we've kind of lauded them for being well run. Is this an ulterior to, move to try and get Pogba? That's the only explanation that would justify this. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't mean, think that's going to They've got so many other players that they could shift. You know, if you think about Isco, Hames, and and you know Modric X and Y, Modric, and you know uh, even Jovic, maybe. Um, there's so many players that you'd probably get rid of ahead of him. I know that they've got Carvajal. He's been a great servant, and he's a very good right back. But Hakimi is getting to the kind of Trent Alexander-Arnold record. I, th- I don't think anyone is close to Trent. But if you had to pick the next player, it would probably be Hakimi, wouldn't it? And the the system that he would be going in with Conte is just. I think it fits him perfectly. It's that right wing back role. It doesn't, you know, he is, he's not dependent as much defensively. Roberto, I mean, let me get your take on this. I mean, this is this is another coup for Inter, man. I, I think they're doing a really great job on the market, even though they're not fully there yet in terms of title fighting. Oh, absolutely. I think he really has been able to become such a relevation at Dortmund and then be a standout player over there. And I think just because of, you know, what he's able to demonstrate in his attacking prowess, um, you know, allowed him to be that kind of effective player. It was kind of interesting to see how Hakimi really said that he wanted a starting spot at Real Madrid. And as great as he is as well, it is very, there are problems with that. Firstly, I just don't think Carvajal would be playing second fiddle under Zidane. I think that's just because they, they are, they, they are effectively two different players in any case, but I think they. I think Zidane still knows that. I think Carvajal is the one to trust, and you can't just bench him like that. But I think Hakimi, you know, what he's able to do at Inter, I think will be very, very important. I think in that system with Conte, I think he's able to be not just only that defensive player, but also that attacking player when needed. You know, being a fullback that is able to attack, and I think that's going to show how, you know, someone like him are are able to like someone like him is going to be able to to really. Um, help an Inter side that, you know, obviously we're in there to contend this season, but I think for next season as well, I think if they're able to really spend properly with the players that they have and, and knowing that Conte is able to finally get his side that he wants to play, then they will contend for a Juventus uh, for that Serie A title. So I think they really snatched a coup here for for getting someone like Hakimi and I think it will be a, um, an effectively good move for him uh, in the long run. Okay, yeah, so it should be exciting for Inter going into next season in Serie A. But the player profile is finally back, first time since COVID hit. Roberto, take it away. (laughs) 
I do. Moment we're all waiting for, by the way, Roberto. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, so I, I will give you a player. It will be a Paraguayan, like I did last time. But uh, it's someone that's been in the news lately. I know Martino has been following it um, uh, stateside, but obviously Pet hasn't. So and I, I don't blame you for it. But uh, the player that I'm going to be talking about is the 18-year-old forward playing at Club Olympia in Paraguay in Eric Lopez, who, according to vast reports, and you know, obviously I'm speaking to people over there as well, uh, that he is set to join Atlanta United. So he will be effectively a, a new player there. Uh, it's still going to be interesting to see what his um, contribution will be for this team. But, you know, I think for someone that, hasn't, that doesn't know about uh, Eric Lopez, I think he's someone that is very – you know, obviously, you know, just a quick little tidbits on him. You know, he was part of the academy, I think, since the age of 13. You know, he made his first team debut last year playing alongside Roque Santa Cruz and, you know, scoring in his debut. And just before COVID hit, uh, I think he played, he played 16 times, uh, scoring four goals, two assists, uh, the first player born in the 21st century to score in three straight games in the Paraguayan League. Um, I think one of the few things that I really have liked uh, watching him so far is that you know he really isn't that number nine that you would expect. I mean, he's someone that could play as a second forward, you know, that's able to shift around the box when he needs to. I think he is someone that obviously has good speed, good vision, you know, one-on-one ability in the box, the strength to beat his man, and you know, it just seems like he's always has the ball with him. So he's he's, he's someone that I think is very good. That I didn't expect him to make that big jump. Uh, to MLS so quickly just because of him just making his debut um, just a mere months ago. But I think it's a good move for Atlanta when they're looking into that kind of uh, future of not relying too much on a, on a Joseph Martinez or a PT Martinez, uh, even an Ezekiel Barco if he were to leave. But, you know, he's someone that I think is, is built for the future. And also it's good for the league itself. I think just because, um, you know, I'm sure you guys both know how Atlanta United have been so – strong in their sense of the of the transfer market and, and the front office of looking for young South American players that are able to to help them succeed. You know, your Almedons, your your Joseph Martinez, your Vialbas and, and many other players. Um, I think this is another big step for them. I think it's, this is another one for the league as well when you're looking at young players that hopefully will be able to boost that kind of league into more attention. And in a way, it, it provides more of a financial stability for someone like um, like uh, Lopez, like many other South Americans that are want to go there and, and not maybe not make that big jump to Europe already, um, but you know try to just develop themselves, find that kind of speed and, and and make them you know just used to what it's like playing in a competitive league and and then just use that as a springboard to go into Europe like we saw with the likes of a Miguel Amaron, for example. So I'm not saying it's an Amaron 2.0, but I think he really is someone that is able to, you know, shift and, and, and score and create. And, yeah, I think if this move does go in, I think it's a, a good one for Atlanta and I think for the league itself. Yeah, that's really that's really awesome to see. And I, and I love how the MLS is really taking a step forward with this uh, Latin American youth coming up, you know, it's got to have that connection there because a lot of the time over here, Roberto, I'm sure you could agree that there seems to be sort of like this disconnect between American football and like, you know, everyone who kind of loves football here. They're always appealing to the wrong type of crowd. And, and, and finally, you know, like some of these clubs are just getting it. And Atlanta United 
kudos to them, right? Because they're not they're not a old school club, one of the originals um, of the MLS. They they're relatively new, so I think they've done a bang on job, and we've seen it from the start there. Um, anything else that we should know about him? Um, how, how's he looking national team wise, real quick, or if we want to get into that? Um, yeah, and just going back real quick um, on that kind of Atlanta perspective also, you know, it's a team that obviously didn't win a major sports title in, in so long. So obviously, you know, we talk about teams that haven't won in quite some time in Liverpool. You look at Atlanta, a city that, let's be fair, uh, is kind of cursed or at least was for quite some time before Atlanta were, were champions of MLS. I think it's just that passion and just like, you know, they understand there is that kind of understanding, you know, we see that maybe with an LAFC. We see that with the Seattle. We'll probably see that with a Miami as well. It's kind of new breed clubs coming in and trying to understand their fan base. But going back into Lopez, yeah, I mean, you know, he's still obviously young at 18, I'm sure. Making that move to MLS will allow the manager, Eduardo Bediso, to keep his eye keep his eyes on him and see how he progresses. Um, you know, he's only been capped for the U23 side. Um, actually, he's actually fortunate enough to go to one game uh, during the Christmas break. Um, where, you know, he played a few minutes in a, in a friendly before they were getting ready for this uh, Olympic qualifier tournament the following month. And, you know, like I said, I think he's someone that is very quick. I think he's someone that is able to shift around when needed. I think you want that kind of flexibility in your forward. And, you know, as a creator as well, I think he, yeah, I think he, I think he fits the bill. And I think he's someone that will hopefully be f- properly used in a system that Frank DeBoer is able to use. And yeah, that's, that's all I can really ask for. And, you know, I think it's, um, it's a, again, good business for Atlanta if they get this done and hopefully we can see another future gem um, in MLS for the next couple of years. Okay. Um, Roberto, we want to thank you so much for hopping on and giving us a great insight on everything, including the player profile. Um, where can everyone find you and listen to your work? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you again for having me on. Uh, you could follow me at Roberto Rojas 97. You could also follow my podcast that, you know, we still need to get you on, Pat. I got Martino and Matt on. but Oh, mate, I'm here anytime. I'm <laughs> jobless now. <laughs> this is the best time to get me on. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so my podcast is Alone with Football. We um, obviously do it every week, uh, every Monday. Uh, we just actually had a podcast on uh, today, uh, this time of recording, that talks about uh, a little bit about also Eric Lopez, but also about you know the race that we're seeing in La Liga. We do an interview as well about what's going on in, in Italy, um, the whole Pianic Arthur thing as well. So yeah, check that out at, at Football. Um, on Twitter and on the website lilimitfootball.com and, and yeah that's about it I'm just you know doing my own stuff also at VN Sports you know keeping the the big La Liga race that we're still having at, at the moment and yeah it's it really is the summer of football or soccer as we say here in the um, in the United States but I think for me as well and then for Martino as well I think we should be happy and fingers crossed that nothing goes bad that we get to see baseball and basketball back very soon Yes, yes, definitely. Pet loves that. So, Pet, where can everybody uh, find you? I do love basketball. I don't uh, know why you're uh, making jokes. That's true. I don't know. Well, the baseball part. <laughs> baseball, yeah. I, I think that's a terrible sport. Sorry, everyone. No, 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 I'll give you advice, Pet, actually. I'll give you one piece of advice. If you do like baseball, there's only one team you have to pick. It's the New York Yankees. That's it. That's all I'm all right. He just, all right. he just well, told you to root for United. So. When, I, when I never get into that sport, I'll, I'll support them. But thank you very much. <laughs> uh, if you guys want to follow me, head over to Twitter, at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. Uh, yeah. 
talking about Arsenal being shit and David Luiz being shit most of the time. Yeah, there you go there for some nice entertainment from a, a normal Arsenal fan. For me, you can just follow me at Martino Puccio. Shout out to our other co-host, Matt Santangelo. He said, don't forget him. So it's Matt underscore Santangelo on Twitter. So check him out. He doesn't need more followers, though. He, he doesn't. He has, <laughs> he has like five times the amount of followers as us combined. I know. So whatever. Bastard. Whatever. Go enjoy your white claws. There's no Hollywood on you guys. No worries. <laughs> he, he, he is. He is. He let the white claws go to his head, literally. All right. So we'll be heading out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please support us at The Athletic as well. It's just $3. Don't forget it. Okay. Now listen to some Joaquin. Mm-hmm.